Welcome to Peeves' Gap Fest, a chapter-by-chapter page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. And today we're analyzing chapter four of the Chamber of Secrets at Flourish and Blotts. This is minutes 14 to about 22 and 15 seconds. Before we start gabbing, we wanted to give a quick spoiler warning because we will be using our vast knowledge of the wizarding world to compare the page to the screen. And that means we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So you've been warned, Dickle Firsties. Before we begin, a message from the Daily Prophet. It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions. I have tried the grape... The sea berry and the cherry. And I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try the cherry. I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one. So I'm saving it for last. Because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good. Because it's the last it one. It is really good. And <laughs> I like how like saturated the flavor is of liquid IV. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel it's, all watery. It's right. It's very strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had I think it was like 40 ounce bottle and it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor. Bam! We're like, whoa. Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water. Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor-packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste rather than you having to, like, use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly. Well, one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that Equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com. (laughs) 
Welcome back, listeners. So we kick off the chapter as Harry settles in to life at the borough. Now, we haven't talked about montages in a while. Did anybody else think this was time for a montage? I actually didn't think that, and I'm kind of upset with myself for not thinking. <gasps> it's okay. The I montage queen herself? I have to take a break sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we obviously talked about it so much in season one, but we just probably haven't gotten back into it for, for this one. Uh, but I definitely do agree that a montage would work here probably more than any uh, than anywhere else because uh, it felt like the first couple of chapters were really kind of just event after event after event, like really close together kind of thing. Whereas um, we don't get like a, a, a poignant amount of time passing by right up until this moment where he's at the borough for a couple of weeks. And so I think it would definitely serve the show well to kind of give us that opportunity to kind of dig deep into the burrow and, and let us, uh, let us experience the magic of the Weasley's house and see, maybe get to see like a little scene with the ghoul and then like them uh, gardening the gnomes and playing Quidditch in their little area and stuff like that. So I think that definitely would be fun to, to kind of put all together. I know we'll probably do the episode breakdown like we did for book one when we finish this book, but how do you see this playing out? These the the chapter we covered last week and now this chapter with Life at the Burrow. And do you see these two episodes being or these two chapters, excuse me, being part of one episode? And then the Diagon Alley stuff coming in in the later episode? Because I feel like the movie kind of combined a lot of these two chapters into the one scene and we'll get into it a little bit more as we go along but let me know what you guys think about what this episode breakdown will look like so i was kind of thinking of it as like there there's one whole episode of just harry at the dursleys we get to have that build up of, of like them leading into the mason's party and then dobby comes in and uh, gives his whole little spiel saying don't go to Hogwarts and then gets him in trouble and then we see the letter coming in and Vernon Dursley's like victory but, you know, bars on the window and ends the episode with Ron and Ron in the window going hey ha- hey Harry how it's going and then like the second episode goes with me you know going into just all about the Weasleys coming in rescuing Harry coming in and visiting Harry and then just you know exploring all of that stuff and then i think the episode kind of just ends there i don't think they go straight into diagon alley right away i think i think there's enough with rescuing harry and then being at the burrow and exploring exploring the burrow pretty thoroughly uh that you kind of just have a good little episode right there uh, and then kind of just take it into Diagon Alley because I think there's a lot that's happening in Diagon Alley that kind of needs to have its own focus and and kind of grow its own little roots, especially with the relationship between Lucius and Draco and everybody that's coming in forward to kind of establish that. And then, you know, who wouldn't want to have more time in the in, in Diagon Alley? Like, 
why wouldn't you like it's so cool right yeah i i definitely think that the um the whole time at the dursleys could be one episode and they could really expand on that i like the idea james of like ending right when ron is at the window um perfect cliff cliffhanger and then yeah there needs to be a lot of time at the borough that they um expand on in the show because there's just so much like meaning there not just not just like content in the sense where there's like dialogue that was taken out or um scenes that were taken out there is that but there's also just a lot of um meaningful feelings and stuff that i think are very important to have in the in the storyline um for moving forward and so i think that there needs to be a lot more time for the burrow to breathe i agree and world building too just general a day in the life of a wizarding family so as we are sitting down with the family for uh is it breakfast i believe uh the letters from hogwarts arrive as well as the letter from hermione which we don't get the letter from Hermione in the film, um, which I think is a shame because um, it's just kind of a little reminder that they've been in communication and this is a character <laughs> that is really close to these boys. Just, I, it's not a huge, huge deal, but I like the idea of like, they're, they're trying to communicate even when they're away from each other, even, you know, during the summer and they have, lots of other things they can do a lot of you know wizarding families that have money they'll travel i know hermione's mentioned traveling during her holiday and um even even with the the summer being away from each other after spending so much time around each other for the whole school term they um they still are trying to keep in contact throughout the summer and we just don't really get that we don't really get much of anything in the summers in the movies we get not a ton in the books because obviously most of all of the books are about the school year, but um, we still definitely get a lot more summer shenanigans in the books. And I'd like to see more of that in the TV show. Definitely. And poor Harry has like, you know, you got to take into account poor Harry. It doesn't even know what's happened for them in the summer because Dobby's been keeping a hold of all of his letters. So he's he's been kind of left out of the loop, poor guy. So we talk about, well, they they talk about, I wish I could be a part of the story, but alas, <laughs> I'm just a muggle. Um, they talk about going to Diagon Alley. They're going to meet Hermione there, but um, we are introduced to flu powder for the first time. And Harry gets a little bit of... Um, of the smoke or, or flu powder into his uh, lungs and is coughing. And that's how he messes up Diagon Alley. And it comes out diagonally instead. And um, I wanted to see what you guys thought about how they did that in the film, because critiquing it and picking it apart like this, it makes me realize why does he say Diagon when it's Diagon Alley and it's very clear and it's hard in the book with him coughing it's much more believable <laughs> yeah I mean I remember when I watched it when I was little and I was just kind of like Ugh. like they could have all they had to do was make him cough when he said oh. it. 
Like it was right there. It's one of the many right. times where like it was written for them. You know, they didn't Do need to put a spin think, on it. Um, and James, maybe this is a question for you because you like to put your mind, um, put yourself in the mind of the director. Um, do you think that it's more of a like clear, audio clarity for us, the viewers, having him cough and trying to make out that he said diagonally instead of Diagon Alley? Hmm. I mean, the, the, that's a good question, <laughs> to be honest, because I have been racking my brain on it. On a very con- more than I probably should be, to be honest, because uh, I really don't understand the difference as to why, unless it was to kind of just maybe that was the easier, maybe that was the easier version for them to be able to do it to show that he didn't actually say it the way that he needed to. Maybe Harry was nervous and said it very quickly either way they either way it's a very stark difference and they went with something and i think they just chose that something i i really don't think there was anything specific in mind behind it if there was i don't know what it is and i haven't seen any special features talking about it on why they chose to you know say that i think it's just one of those minor things where it worked he said it differently, so differently to the, you know, the actor said it so differently to the point they were like, that works, we're going to go with it, we're not even going to try and mess with it even more. Because sometimes there's just something that happens as you're take doing the takes and you're kind of just like, that's the one, we're going to stop here, move on. And I think that's probably what it was. They didn't take a lot of, there's probably some things they just don't take a lot of credence into and say, hey, like, we have to get this exactly like this kind of scenario. They kind of just go, yep, that works. Makes sense. He's going to go to somewhere else now. Bam. Yeah, I feel like they, and they might have been thinking, because the, the way that they did it was funny. Like, I could see that they were trying to be funny with it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they thought, they were like, oh, what if, you know, what if we did this? And because, like, M- Molly Weasley's response Actually, all of them, the way that they responded to him saying that, and they're like, what did he say? Like, it was pretty funny, but it it's just kind of, it was just like a strange choice when they already had something that would have worked a lot better. Right, and it's like Harry's never had an accent issue or anything in the past, so it's, it's just like it came out of left field, like you said, when they had something. What would have made sense, if they would have done that, if he would have said diagonally, and... And instead of the coughing, it would have made sense if he had never been to Diagon Alley before and had never heard it. Or he'd heard people say it a couple times, but clearly had not had exposure to it. But the fact that he's been there, it's probably said all the time at school. He knows like he knows what it is. So it made no sense for him to like forget how to say the the words. So (laughs) it's not no continuity there. I feel like I'm glad that you mentioned um, like the the little lines between Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, because this is like the first time I've actually been like, oh, I agree with me that this should definitely be a comedy show because, again, they took out the comedy (laughs) and made it dramatic. (laughs) And like besides that one line, right, because um, in the book, Miss Weasley says, 
won't uh like he could and he could get lost won't he like won't the dursleys miss him and and harry does one of his one-liners um which is that comedic part and then in the film instead they did the diagon diagonally line for the comedy but then made it all very dramatic with the fire and everybody's like scoot back and like that doesn't happen in the book either they're all they know what happens nobody's like watch out of the fireplace i know yeah it's yeah there's just not continuity going on um so it's just to me just questionable questionable directing choices but you know (laughs) i agree (laughs) Without having been in the chair itself, we can only, you know, right. take it so far to our understanding. From us at right now to this point, it doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> maybe it made sense to them right then, there, in that moment. Who knows? This I might guess- be one of the questions that Meigs usually asks our um, previously only movie viewers. What did you guys think? watching the films and hearing Harry say diagonally, were you confused as to why he said it that way? Okay, I'm going to in the spreadsheet now. The only explanation that I can think of is that he was nervous because it was flu powder. He didn't know what was going on. He just saw somebody get engulfed yeah. in green flames. And he's kind of just like, like overcorrecting almost. Over, he overcorrected and is like said it really fast out of it, like in, instead of pronunciating it the correct way, he's like, you know what I mean? Like says it so fast that it comes out diagonally. Maybe it's just he he was just nervous because he was doing flu powder for the first time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be. I mean, I would be. Yeah, there you go. That's the right word I was supposed to say. say, Wow, you have a lot of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, any other thoughts on life at the borough before we hop into the flu powder ourselves and head over to Diagonal? I realized. That was a really cute way to say that, Sarah Day. Yes. I'm working on my transitions. (laughs) I realized how come this year was so expensive for the Weasleys because if they didn't get the new defense against the dark arts teacher that they did get, they wouldn't have had to buy like seven books. Mm -hmm. They they would have each, they would have only had to buy a new, like a new spell book. And then a new maybe defense against the dark art book, depending on who the teacher was. But like, because it was who he was, and he's so into himself, he basically requested all the students to go in and buy, like, five five to six books about himself for the new Defense Against the Dark Arts class. And so, when you have Jenny, Ron, Percy, Fred, and George, that's, like, a lot of books all at the same time. And it probably wouldn't have been that expensive if it was any other teacher, but because it was who it was obviously like having that be like a big focus on it i was like wow like no wonder it was expensive like yeah i thought maybe there was more on the list but apparently there wasn't it was just all gilderoy lockhart's books especially because for the most part i believe the books are by year so it's like potions year one potions year two um so they could just pass the books down and they only have to buy 
Well, at this point, they probably don't have to buy any new books because uh, Charlie and Bill have already gone through all seven years. So they should have all, you know, typical unless the, uh, once they get into the later years and are picking their, like, fun elective classes. All core classes. All the core classes, at least. I wonder what, um, obviously this is going to be a spinoff series, uh, but what Charlie Weasley or somebody who wants to go into dragon um, dragon work specifically, like what sort of classes would be required if there's some other classes that we haven't oh, been exposed to. Care of magical yeah. creatures. Yeah. I would imagine that one. Um, but like, you know, potions probably to like help with, you know, if you get burned or whatever. And then I don't know, like are there is runes like arithmancy? Would that be part of it? I have no idea like what else is in dragon lore that I feel like runes is probably yeah. a good one because like who knows one. yeah, what dragons have like I feel like arithmancy is more for Bill and his oh, uh, curse yeah, breaking. Yeah. Okay, so his we curse need- breaking adventures is is kind of, he's gotta like kind of decipher older languages and and curses and stuff okay so we either need a spinoff series that is like just dedicated to adults in the wizarding world and the types of jobs that they have or and or the oldest weasley brothers and yeah, a spinoff definitely. series with bill and, and it's just called bill and charlie and i love like bill and ted <laughs> <laughs> Bill and Charlie's excellent adventures. <laughs> we got okay. We got to make that happen. Ugh, somebody just needs to like put us on the max team. The map. You know, mm-hmm. I just need I just Leave need five star reviews, please. <laughs> we need a couple more, and then we'll be right there. <laughs> All right. So, are we ready to head on? Well. Actually, we're not going to Diagon Alley. We are going to Nocturne Alley. Nocturne Alley. Da-da-da-da. And I feel like we're all going to have quite a bit to say about this next scene from the books (laughs) (laughs) that did not make it into the film. So if you haven't read the books, you're in for a treat. Does anyone want to take the lead on this? Any hot takes? (laughs) Meeks just pointed to somebody, but you know it's funny. We don't know who she's pointing to, so James. <laughs> I feel like usually Sarah Day poses a question, and then we answer the question, and then Sarah Day goes after. So it's pointing at you. Were you pointing to me? Um, no, she's Jane. pointing to me. I'm going to leave it up to be a mystery <laughs> now because I, um, yeah, it's just a mystery at this point. Well, James, you're usually the like character-driven fan, and I feel like there's a lot of character development on these two characters that are introduced in this next scene yes so i was kind of gonna like not focused on them right from the very beginning but uh since you brought them up i will uh we get to meet lucius malfoy and your arms so hard (laughs) (laughs) so hard uh we get to meet lucius malfoy and draco malfoy for the first time together uh, we've known who Draco is, and we know he, uh, we know who his personality is like, and we we have experience like uh, like that, but we don't really know anything about his family, uh, and so this was our first look into his his day to day life at home and how he he acts and things like that, and I love it. I love all of it. 
and I want more of it because it it brings a couple of things to the table. One, it brings in the type of character who Lucius Malfoy is, and we kind of get a good idea of like why we're not going to like him from the very beginning. But two, it shows how um, what's the word? Uh, hyper fixated. Draco Malfoy is on Harry and Hermione. Uh, yeah, he he is he he's probably been complaining to his family about them all summer long, and like how famous Harry Potter is getting everything and everything handed to him. And he mentioned like the broom that Hogwarts paid for him and how he was just basically because he was famous he got onto the team and then he you know talked about Hermione getting all the teachers favorite being all the teachers favorite and getting better grades than him and he's like for for somebody who's saying that he's better than everybody else he definitely likes thinking about them more often than he probably should be but it it shows like how hyperfixated he was on the entire summer but it gives you the idea that because he was so hyper focused and this is all he's probably been talking about all summer long lucius malfoy's probably had it up to here with it which is why he gives out the comments that he does uh, like comparing him to uh comparing him to hermione being a mudblood and being like well you know you should probably be ashamed of the fact that a mudblood is being doing better than you are because you didn't have very good grades when you came back home. Like some people would find that pretty harsh, but when you think about how bratty Draco Malfoy has been all summer long, that probably was just a retaliation to the fact that Draco has not been the best son up until this moment. And with all the stress that Lucius Malfoy is probably going through with being discovered uh, with things that he doesn't want to be discovered with, which is a whole other topic in of itself. Uh, of course, he's going to be a little bit more agitated and a little bit more fixated on trying to get him, you know, fixated on himself and getting himself out of the situation because of what's been going on and things like that. Because he's all about status and he's all about trying to keep his social class pure, even though we all know better and and know that he's definitely not. So uh, it's a very interesting dynamic. And one, I think Jason Isaac, Jason Isaac and Tom Felton did a really good job with on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they bonded really well. And there's plenty of like um, special features and things like that, where they kind of talk about their relationship mm-hmm. and uh, how it's yeah, still kind of going on. And it's, I think it's really Instagram. good. Jason Isaac's, um, congratulating Tom Felton on something. So they still have a good yeah. relationship. I forget what the post is about, but it was um, it was sweet. Um, it, and you mentioned that, um, like, okay, we're saying they had great chemistry, and that's why it's a shame we didn't get this scene in the film because I think it would have been so good to see that dynamic. Like you're saying, he's just fed up with him at this point. Um, whereas in the bookstore, they're still like, they're a united front, which they are at the end of the day. They're the, they're a Malfoy pure blood family, which they're all 
um, about family. Um, but to see just the, um, power dynamic between the two of them and why Draco is the way he is. I mean, we, we kind of get that a little bit at the bookstore, but I just think the scene of Bergen and Bork, and it, it also sets up a lot of future, uh, what am I trying to say here? Um, future events that are going to Yeah, it, it's, it plants the seed for a lot of the future stuff that happens, that he has all of this dark arts stuff. Well, I mean, for such a prominent character in Vigorhead, for the stories going forward, it does have a lot that's kind of establishing. Uh, and that's why, you know, during the show, we probably should have the opportunity to kind of just kind of delve a little bit more deep and establish the roots of these characters, because Lucius Malfoy is not going to be the same guy five books from now. Like, he's he's going to be broken and... Yeah. De- like defeated in many different ways. He's not going to be this very prideful, pompous person mm-hmm. that uh, is walking around like he owns the place and in anywhere he goes kind of scenario. He's It's not going to be the same person. And I think in order for us to be able to appreciate that a lot more on a, on a level that needs to be appreciated, we we need to have these opening scenes where we first meet these characters be really well established to show the dynamics of the family relationships and not only just between Draco and him, but like between him and Mr. Burke, like Mm -hmm. how he treats other fellow wizards and how the other fellow wizards are treating him. Like Uh having that scene where Mr. Burke is kind of like all happy. And then as he leaves the store goes glad that's over with, like that's important because it shows what other people are doing outside of the presence of Lucius Malfoy, not just in the presence of Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. And I feel like the only hint of that, that we get is when he takes the coin, when Lucius is turned around Um, in the film, he like sneaks the coin on the stack that he was giving to Lucius for giving him the coins, you know? So I feel like that's the only hint of, um, I forget which one, if it's Borgen or if it's Burke. Um, I think it's Borgen, right? Bergen. No. Is it Bergen? Because I had to look up, I had to look up what the name of the shop was called. I couldn't remember the second name. The shopkeeper. Um, yeah, like you just said, James, I, you know, he, there's a lot more behind that interaction that, you know, with the feelings that the characters have. And so we get just like a tiny hint of something, but, you know, definitely. I mean, I wrote, in this more Borgen and Burks, like in my notes, as far as like what I want from the show, just like overall in general, um, I want more. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was Borg. Yeah. Played by so, Edward Tudor Pohl. Um, so 10 points to Hufflepuff. And Gryffindor. I got it right too. We'll just take points from Ravenclaw then. No, let's add points. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I was clarifying for you guys because just to make just to make it so that we weren't left on a question mark. I, we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so to talk about the drama again, <laughs> because I'm just like, oh my god, it's so dramatic. We do get the shop in the film. Um, we don't get Morgan. We don't get Lucius. We don't get Draco. What we get is a dramatic hand grab and then a weird dramatic scene in the alley before Hagrid comes up with all these weird, creepy witches and wizards. I do like how they did it, though. I mean, I don't I don't think it's um, it's not obviously spot on for an adaptation, but I think I think for a movie for what they were going for. I think it worked out well. That made sense, you know, for what a film would do. I think the acting was great. That would be super creepy at any age, but definitely as a 12 year old by yourself in a place that you don't know, having all those creepy people. And like they, I think that they did a good job of, of the people being really creepy and, and weird in different ways. It's not like everyone was the same, like, wacky, creepy character. It was like that guy that was just standing there staring at Harry. Yeah. Because that's, like, it, it, it seemed realistic, even though it was him in, like, a magical, um, you know, enchanting type of uh, place where you buy all these wizarding items. So even though it's a fantasy world and a very fantasy place, the way that... Like imagining if you were in in real life in a in a really creepy spot, like in a big city and you didn't know anybody and you were alone and like the type of people that unfortunately you might come across in real life. I think that they did a, a good job of showing that type of, again, unfortunate range that you might come across. So I thought that they did a really good job with that scene with making it creepy without making it like an actual horror film. You know, it was it was creepy, mm-hmm. but it was to me, it was just the right around the right amount. But obviously strayed from the book a little bit (laughs) how do you feel about the hand grab the when the malfoy hand grab thing what what? you know the the little hand that grabs harry in the the movie i mean because i feel like that is one of those moments because they talk about it in the book mm -hmm. but it doesn't grab anybody yeah but they talk about the withered hand um, and I thought that was like, oh, they, there's this withered hand. Let's throw that in there. Let's let it grab them. Yeah. Um, whereas they could have just, if they weren't going to have the Lucius and Draco scene where they come into the store, they should have just had him like walk around and then Borgen is there and is like, Hey, what are you doing in here? And Harry walks out and then we get the scene in the alleyway. Yeah. I just felt the hand was a little bit funny. You should mention that. Well, oh my God. Is there a scene? scene? Yes. Okay. That's, why I, okay. So that's what I watched. And I when, as I was watching it, I was like, I think this is a deleted scene, but I just kept going because I didn't know which version I was watching. Okay. Now this makes sense with how I felt about the Borgen and Burke thing, how like they could have added more stuff in for sure, but at least it's a deleted scene. But that's stupid that it's a deleted scene. Like that's a huge part in the book, I feel like, that they should have kept in the movie, not in a deleted fashion. <laughs> So, okay, this is making more sense. Yeah, the hand thing I felt was, it, it was just one of those kind of eye roll things for me. Like they're just adding something in the, to be more dramatic because it's a movie. And when they're, again, it was written for them. There's plenty of stuff that they could have used that was already written. And I don't think that they needed to do that. But without, I get why they think that they should have done that, especially with the Lucius and Draco scene being deleted as the original movie was released, right? Well, I mean, 
Lucius and Draco were in the movie still. Like that that's all continuous and con- like accurate. The the part that was it's like an alternative scene quote unquote because like they didn't really cut anything out. They just cut out the part where Bergen catches Harry in the shop. So Harry gets out of the cabinet and Harry is walking, like still roaming out and making sure that everybody's clear. But right as he gets to the front door, Borgen comes up to him and says, Hey, what are you doing here? Are you lost? And like gets all like scary and freaks Harry out kind of scenario. And he is like, No, 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 I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm going now and he leaves I don't like necessarily remember it because I haven't watched it for a second, but he he that interaction sparks the entire scene where he bumps into a bunch of witches and wizards and creates that whole dynamic of like scariness in the alleyway. So it's like a 10 second thing, but it was uh instead of that they just chose to show Harry walk out of it. That's really the only difference between it. And I think just having that little bit thrown back in would have made me feel a lot better about the whole thing. <laughs> just cu- going like, ugh, yeah, anyway, they could have cut the hand and put Bergen back in. Well, I mean, you you have to realize all these scenes were added back in in the extended version. So like if you get the extended version of the movie, they're there. Is that a thing? Though? I hate the like fact it was, that you do extended Lord of the Rings. Make it the whole freaking movie. Yeah. Like, so only Chamber of Secrets and Philosopher's Stone got extended versions where they put deleted scenes that were in the original special features of the movies back into the movie and then made a whole new like release saying extended release. Yeah, just to make more money. They only did it for those two and then never did it for any of the other ones, which is why a lot of people are upset with, about it because yeah. they only did it for those two. Every other movie was, they stopped at Chamber of Secrets and they were kind of like, we're done. <sighs> which is like, why? Like, if you're going right. to do it for the other two, do it for the others. Like, come on. I want to see I want to see an extended it, version of the Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, uh, Stuff. Right. It just well, yeah. it just shows like that they're just it's just a way for the you know producers and other people involved to just make more money because why else would they release an extended cut? It's like why yeah. if you already filmed all of it, just make up the whole movie, but then they wouldn't be able to release an extended cut and have people buy that as well. Right. Well, yeah. at least we're getting a super extended versions now. Yeah, and also um just to convince people that we should be in charge of all of this, we would not do that to any of you. We would not have a secret extended cut or deleted scenes. We would put everything in there for everybody. That's probably why we wouldn't be hired. <laughs> I was I was gonna say anything, but like, I'm like, makes the money making people aren't gonna hire us if we're saying that. <laughs> so um before we kind of get out, um Two things I wanted to mention mm-hmm. uh, before we get out of Nocturne Alley. So, one, I love all of the little future Easter eggs that we get to have. Like, obviously, this is all stuff that if you're a first-time reader, you're going to read it, you're going to go, huh, and then never think about it ever again, because that's how it goes. But, like, as a avid rereader and going back and rereading this, like, there was, like, 
four or five things that pointed to future events just in that shop. And I was like, so happy and excited that I like knew that all of those were there and like, you know, thinking about how that could be applied to the TV show. And I was just like, we could have so much fun with that because we know the whole story now, right? We, we've talked about that. We know the entire story. We can do different things with how we approach this. We could put a little bit more focus on some of these items that are just sitting there in the store because whether we know of J.K. Rowling ha- thinking about those being in the future books right in that moment as she was writing it or whether she just wrote it in to write it in, who knows? But we now know that it was used eventually no matter what her thinking was and that it's going to be reappearing in a you know in a future moment and that made, made me excited but the other thing i learned well it came back from the um the unofficial guide and it talked about how harry potter one was an introduction to the world of harry potter and it was all bright and magical and super exciting uh, new world like that new world kind of uh, happening for not only just Harry but like for us as the readers and, and for mm-hmm. people in general but like Chamber of Secrets is the introduction to the dark arts mm. and we get a lot more focus on what the dark arts actually are and what they can do and why they're called the dark arts like dark arts are like like real like somebody put this in in the book and it kind of made a little bit of sense in the sense that dark arts are what you would do to like other people like unforgettable unforgivable things to other people like torturing them or um somebody mentioned that polyjuice potion could be considered a dark arts because you could transform into somebody oh, and yeah. then like taint their name by doing like you know mm-hmm like doing something while you're taking their identity kind of stuff. Oh, we could do a whole episode on the ethical conversation around polyjuice potion. Definitely. But the mm-hmm. point the point is, is that this entire book is an introduction to what the dark arts actually are and it's an introduction to the evil side of the world. And so the reason why it feels like Chamber of Secrets might be a little bit more darker than Philosopher's Stone was because it was, uh, it's introducing this entire concept of the dark arts. And that's why we get, you know, I, I think that's why we get Tom Riddle, young Tom Riddle as the antagonist of this book, because he, he's basically the beacon of what that is for Harry going forward. That's so fascinating. Um, And it's, we, correct me if I'm wrong, but we barely get any look into Professor Quarles' class in Sorcerer's Stone. We get a lot in this book with Lockhart. A lot more, at least. Yeah. I don't think, Professor Quirrell didn't even have a, like, we didn't even have a class with Harry and Professor Quirrell together. Right? And and just to remind listeners, um, Quirrell taught Defense Against the Dark Arts. And so in this book, we get many classes with Professor Lockhart teaching um, Defense Against the Dark Arts. So being this is the introduction to the dark arts is really fascinating. 
Yeah, so Chamber chamber and Sorcerer's Stone are very much a foil of each other in the sense that uh, Sorcerer's Stone was a really big advocate of magical world, goodness, happiness, colorful, you know, descriptions, things like that, which is why it made us so excited to kind of see all that in seasonal form. Whereas if, as you're continuing reading, I, I challenge you to kind of go forth and see the descriptors that she's doing for Chamber Secrets, and you're going to get a little bit more darkness, a little bit more uh, drudgery, a little bit more yeah. like, like dark, dark side type scenario with, with Chamber Secrets. Which is also really interesting because when you Think about the movies for the most part. You think of one and two as the bright movies, and then three is when it gets darker. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see that the book is actually a lot darker in description um, is is interesting. Well, and I feel like the what always interested me um, about the same concept was Order of the Phoenix is one of the darkest films. Like it's really moody and. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it just feels really dark but the book is one of the most lighthearted books as far as like it's super funny there's so much like fun dialogue in it and and so it's really jarring to like watch that film and then read the book right after because it's like whoa these are like completely different tones um so i feel like that's the same sort of interestingly flipped concept i guess so something to take note going forward is to kind of just, uh, you know, as a good comparison between the book and the film is, is, is to kind of take the, the note of Christopher Columbus's take on what he still wanted this to be a good children's film, which is why it's more considered a bright, happy film, uh, is because that perspective was his perspective. This is still for children. And so he tones down some of those darker things. But when you're reading the book, you're kind of going to realize, kind of like how we did at the very beginning with like the abuse between Petunia and, and Vernon towards Harry. That was toned down to the extreme because really the audience was children. And Christopher Columbus wasn't going to put something like that into for children. And so you're going to get a lot of the things, um, you know, the, the, the experience with the bludger, I bet is uh, probably going to be a very big contrast difference because in the book, I remember it being a little bit more, uh, a little bit more morbid. Whereas in the movie, it was a little bit more toned to comedic, uh, effect where it was like, Oh, this bludger is chasing Harry. Oh, is it going to escape him? Kind of scenario. And I'm thinking about Um, the spiders too. Yeah, Argon, um, yeah, that was really scary in the books, and the movies made it really comedic. Like Ron, uh, Rupert Grint's acting for the most part was like the co- comedy comedic relief in that scene. But they those, I'm ex- I'm so excited. I've said it before, I'm gonna <laughs> say it again that HBO can go this really dark route. It is kind of mind boggling that at this point it is still supposed to be a kid's story and i'm like but this is really dark now that we're talking about it and like i can definitely see why chris columbus lightened it up a bit yeah especially if his main audience was like 12 and 11 year olds yeah so uh, that's going to be a very interesting contrast going forward as we continue reading these chapters because we're going to go oh why did he, you know why was it not as dark like that that's why is because the book was written specifically to be a focus on the 
the darkness of the world of Harry Potter, whereas the movie was still kind of focused towards children, so the focus of the children were more important kind yeah. of scenario. So that's going to be a little fun tidbit to have going forward as we kind of talk about the other chapters. But those were the two things I wanted to bring up. Yeah, that's really insightful and interesting and will be um, a good conversation for as we go through the rest of this book. Mm -hmm. So Hagrid finds Harry okay. and guides him to... <laughs> <laughs> Meeks oh, has something well, <laughs> right there. Well, it's fine. I mean, it's fine, but I feel like Is the it? way the way that um, when Harry's like in the film, the way that Harry's like, "Hagrid, what are you doing here?" and he's like, "Buying a flesh-eating slug repellent," and then he acts as if that's like fishy. Yes, I literally yes. wrote down. Hagrid makes it seem fishy. Yes. And I don't like why? Again, they had it written. And it's if they had followed up with him doing something fishy, fine. But they didn't because he wasn't doing anything fishy. And I just don't understand why they went that route. I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. Mm, I can see your point. I never really thought about it, so I really don't have anything to add. But okay, well, I guess I no. I've always okay, thought you. that yeah. he seemed so fishy, and like when you read the book, he's just saying that's why he was there because that's where you get flesh eating slug repellent. Like it's to the but point in the film, yes. it's like he's lying. Yes, and every time I watch the movie, I am like, okay, did I miss something in the book? And then I go back and read that chapter, and I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't get that. <laughs> I agree. Okay, homework for the listeners. Interesting. Both movie-only watchers and book readers plus movie watchers, how do you feel about the fishiness of the slug repellent? <laughs> Such a weird question to ask. Fishiness of the slug repellent. <laughs> Are you guys ready to talk about the bookstore stuff? <laughs> well, I mean, can we mention the bank? How it's missing? How, well, like, it's missing in general, but, like, like w first two topics that really come were coming back to from previous conversations is, one, Harry does go back every year to get a new amount of gold for, for the year. Because be previously, I was like, doesn't he not go back to Gringotts like in until like Prisoner of Azkaban? So I was like thinking to myself like he had grabbed enough gold for like the first two years. Obviously, I get discredited by reading the book now and saying that my, getting my answer and saying that he got he does go back every year and gets enough gold. But the second part is we we see him getting his gold in front of the Weasley family. Which comes back to a conversation we we always had we 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 were always having about from the like kind of like the beginning of book one about like how Harry feels about all the money versus Ron's situation and his family situation. Harry now gets a very big clear idea of his family situation and is 
for the first time, I think, embarrassed about having all this money and not being able to share it because they're too they're too good of people to say, oh, don't worry about it, Harry. We've got it covered kind right. of scenario. And this pulls it pulls it in and turns it in like five times more emotional in the book kind of scenario. And we barely get that. Like it's it's brushed on that it's going to be hard for the Weasleys to buy all this stuff. But in the book, it's like it's yeah. it's it, you're you're getting hosed down by a, a, a hose with this amount of this amount of information. And Harry sees how much stuff they have in their bank and they literally just clean out the bank in order to buy everything. And then he's like going in and he knows how much he has and he's like grabbing a little bit and he's like trying to make it go by fast. But I can just imagine like this like 12 year old boy trying to cover the doorway and like there's this humongous pile of gold and like he's trying to hide it, but and not pull much too much attention to it. But at the same time, he is pulling a lot of attention to it. So I, you know, it, I don't think Harry ever was in, I don't think Harry ever was embarrassed because he never thought about it up until this point, but he now kind of realizes the difference in his, in his situation versus Ron's situation. And, and for the first time he's like, Oh, I really wish I didn't have any of this because I don't want to make, make the, these people who are treating me so well feel bad. Yeah. I wish I had more to say on that, but I feel like that you, you're spot on. And it's kind of not a slap in the face to the Weasleys, but um, not definitely not on Harry's part, uh, because when we do get to the bookstore and we're introduced to Gilderoy Lockhart, um, he gifts Harry the whole set of his books for free. Uh, and it's all for, you know, the photo op and, and the PR of it. Um, but it's like he he has no problem buying the books. And he gets this whole set for free. And there's no way the Weasleys would accept that set and have Harry buy his own set. Because Lockhart gifted it to Harry. Except I think he got away with it. He gave it to Jenny. He he had the books that Lockhart gave him, and he just put it in Ginny's cauldron. And he was like, I can buy my own. He literally, he, he says that in the book. He's like, I can buy my own set, thank you. And, he's, and he, after the whole like little thing with Draco. So he does give it away. I just don't think he like asked permission or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Harry's such a good guy. Yeah. Totally. But Professor Can we Lockhart talk about how not good to Lockhart is, though? <laughs> <laughs> I love Kenneth Braun. He's one of my favorite actors and directors. And, like, I do, I follow a lot of the stuff he's he's done. And I've seen a lot of the stuff that he's been a part of. And I feel like he pulled off a really good Lockhart. But as I read the book this time, I want more. Yeah. Uh, I want more. <laughs> Let's just say that. I just want more Lockhart. I want I want him to be more pompous and more yes. annoying and more just out of that world, like into himself. 
than what the movie allowed us because I feel like it was very turned down and that's probably what this whole entire movie is going to be for me is like it's a lot of toned down version of the book there was probably no reason for Lockhart to be toned down as much as he was I feel like we need to see all that because really the only reason he ever even accepted or pulled Harry into it is because he knew Harry's celebrity status would get him more status right like that's all he that's all that was it was like oh he saw an opportunity he grabbed it he didn't like no questions asked didn't even ask him if he was okay with it. he just grabbed it he's like hey we're gonna be on the front page this is so great like i want more gilderoy lockhart to be so annoying to the point that every time he's in the scene we get to the point where we despise him kind of like what we did with the movie version of Dolores sunbridge everybody the actress did so well with Dolores Umbridge that everybody just genuinely hates her every time she's on screen. I want that to happen with Gilroy Lockhart, where every time we see him on screen, we just loathe him being there. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, I mean, he, I was going to say he's not evil. We don't need to loathe him. But he did memory swipe um, lots of people. Um, but I just want to be annoyed. Like, I don't need to hate him. I just want to be annoyed. And when he comes on screen, I want to roll my eyes and be like, ugh, more Lockhart. You know, like Harry and Ron do. <laughs> yeah. But I also, also want to swoon <laughs> like Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, and I think that... Like you get, we get like the basic concept of, of him being pompous and annoying and stuff, but we just get yet again, a flattened version of it because I wrote down like, um, in later chapters when he's like, which we can talk about in later chapters, of course, but there's so many times where like, he is talking to the, the other professors and they're super annoyed by him. And there's like so many things that he does that are super annoying throughout the whole book. And we get, like, hints of it in the movie. But, yeah, it's just, like, kind of a flattened version. But he did a fantastic job playing him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, no qualms about how he was portrayed in the movie. I loved him. I just want, like, two times or three times more the energy that Kenneth Brown brought to the mm -hmm. table with the next actor. I just, I want it to go full out. I want it to be so ridiculous that I just go, ugh, every time I see him. Please. Like, that's all I want. Because that's how I'll thoroughly enjoy it, and I'll know like that how the character was played really well, because I'm getting an emotional reaction. Yeah. Well, I feel like with the dialogue, the amount of dialogue that was given to him, which is much less than in the book, I feel like, I feel like he did a fantastic job for what was given to him, but, you know, there just needs to be more writing of him doing yeah. things. Definitely. And I think, I mean, we'll get to this later on, of course, but when everything is revealed about what he's done, I would like it to be a little bit more menacing. I always thought it was a little bit more, um, I guess, dark <laughs> in the book. And then in the film, it's just, it's like, again, more played for comedy. Um, I don't yeah. remember, but we'll, we'll get there. When we get there, we'll have a great opportunity to kind of just like, split it apart and be like what was the difference here but we get a big thing we get to like split the difference on uh and that's uh arthur weasley punching the crap out of lucius malfoy mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So we go from one. That's a stark difference between book and movie right yep. there. Yes. Yeah. I wrote that down, like Arthur launching himself at Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that. I definitely, I definitely do want to see it. Like, I definitely do want to see that, like, them kind of get into it a little bit. Because uh, I was kind of surprised. I didn't even realize that was happening. Because I guess maybe the movie was more prominent. Like, the memory of the movie was more prominent in my brain. But when I read that, I was like, whoa, Arthur, like, whoa. Talk about the ginger head, like, the, the ginger head angriness of it all. Like, I... The fiery redhead. Uh, there you go. Fi the fiery redhead, right? Like they just get angry all the time. I see where Ron gets it. But um, Arthur Weasley is normally so cool-headed and stuff. But I do love how it was like portrayed in the movie. Like I feel like the actors who had that like little standoffish moment and like that whole scene kind of built itself really well. To the point that I'm not upset that they didn't take it out. I really think it would have maybe taken me out of the world if they had maybe like started a fight or whatever. But I feel like them just kind of standing offish and like being respectful to each other because they're in a public place and they're in front of their kids and they're kind of just like, let's see it work. And kind of scenario. Like, I think that was, I think that was really well done and really well set. And, really well acted by the actors but i also would like to, like that just gives me an opportunity to see the characters in a different light with different people and then portraying them in a way like the book did having them get into that fist fight how would that look and how would that come out and can they make that work as well as they did in the movie I have thoughts on the matter, but it's one of my peeves pondering at the end. So we'll get into it then. <laughs> but Meeks, do you have any? Um, I have a lightning round. If we're at a oh. lightning round place. Well, round. I let me round. say I did think that the dialogue was all straight from the book. I had written down dialogue two thumbs up because the, they're back the and forth between Lucius and Arthur. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, even stuff that um, Draco says, I thought everything was really well adapted there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay, lightning round or James? Do you have any other thoughts on the chapter? No, I've I've gotten a lot in. To <laughs> <laughs> I've talked a lot. This well, round. I mean, you're the character guy, and there's just a lot of character development in this chapter. Oh like, yeah, to be expected. I have more character stuff, but that's my peeve stuff. So, ah. <laughs> all right, so it's time for lightning round. Makes this lightning round. Pulling out my notes. <laughs> this, wow. is, this is not all for this chapter. Um, okay, my book notes. Um, okay, one of these is a peeve, so I'm not going to say it. Um, but I do uh, wish that they would have added in more, or I guess for the show, I I want them to add in more discussion about Lockhart when they're still at the borough, because they talk about him at the at the mm -hmm. bar like it, at, you know he's introduced before when they introduce him in the film kind of and just create that build up yes exactly um and uh and just how you know people really like him and harry's just like you know who is this guy kind of thing mom and, fancies him yeah. yeah but if you do have that build up mm -hmm. if you do create this like oh who is this guy the actor has got to be 
spot on. And I think that they're going to do a good job of it. I think that I think in general they're going to have the best of the best for casting directors, and I think that they're going to do. I think so. I think they're going to do a great job. Um, and definitely, okay, I wrote down Diagon Alley. I think overall it was a pretty good adaptation. Just I think it was fine for the film. There's plenty of little nitpicky things that we can come up with. Well, not even nitpicky. There's plenty of things we obviously we've talked about, but I think overall, like you know, once again, setting the scene, the uh, the set design, like all of that, I think that. As per usual. I did, did like the set design. That's true. Yeah. But that's almost always like fine. Not fine. It's all almost always fantastic. Yeah. The films did a really good job with set design. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. I have another little peeve. So I'm going to have two little peeves that I'm going to add in. Um, it, during the flu powder scene, when even though obviously we tore apart the di- diagonally, um, when, <laughs> when he <laughs> – flies away and all of the Weasleys like fall back and kind of smash into each other. I loved how they acted that. I thought that that was cute and it was funny. And I think that that was, um, I don't know, it was just cute. So I liked how they did that little, that little moment. Um, I really, really, really want a Borgen and Burke spinoff so bad. Uh-huh. That would be so interesting. I mean, or a, a whole Nocturne Alley spinoff would be really cool. Um, I think just exploring Nocturne Alley and, mm-hmm. In general, giving us a little bit more about what it's all about, because we don't. I think Borgen and Burst, I think, is just it. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think we know about anything else in Nocturne. Yeah. Well, wherever you buy flesh eating slug repellent. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, wherever that fishy store is. I'm sure there's like a <laughs> like a evil dark arts potions. Yeah. Apothecary. Mm-hmm. I bet there's some stuff. What about black the market street? animals? <laughs> Oh my goodness! What about the street that is like the the tri- the, the third street? Because you have di- uh, it's apparently they said that Gringotts is in the middle, and then you have Diagon Alley, Nocturne Alley, and then there's a third one. There's like a whole third ring oh. of like an alley of probably it. stores and stuff. What is that all about? Come on! Yeah, I didn't even. Okay, I feel like there's two. Would that be like the Muggle side, or is it definitely a magical alley? I don't know, but Gringotts is in the middle. I I think I got this from the unofficial guide, but Gringotts is in the middle. There's apparently a third road. Huh. Well, okay. Obviously, we need to learn more. Um, where am I? Okay. Yeah, the lightning round, we've, we haven't been really lightning through it. Sorry, Mace. No, that's okay. It's sparking discussion. Okay, I hate. I see what you did there. Hate, hate, <laughs> hate, 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 hate. The interaction between Harry and Hermione in the film, in Diagon. Yes! <laughs> oh my goodness, do I despise this. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> There's so many stupid reasons. One of my least favorite parts of this, and by the way, absolutely love baby dan love baby emma they did good with what they were told to do why the writers chose to do this i don't know but the sexual tension that they put between harry and hermione as 12 year olds i feel like like the way that harry was just like dumbstruck in love staring at hermione as she was like 
goodness, your glasses, let me fix them. And he just like <laughs> stares at her like, oh, you're my, the love of my life. I'm like, that's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hate this scene too, but let me counteract this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first. Oh, no, wait, never mind. I, I, I uh, take it back because he just, I was going to say this is the first time he's seen his friends, but he just spent all week with the Weasleys. So never mind. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. You're right. Well, and like, I'm all about them having like, oh my goodness, like, I'm so excited to see you. But the way that they wrote it, I have it was bad. issues with. I think it's Me inappropriate. Too. I don't like it. Not to mention, not to mention that Hermione's not supposed to use magic right. outside of school. There's a continuity errors well for that one though it's they're in the adults can and you don't know that that person is doing magic you just know that magic has been used so there's no way to tell i mean although hermione's a rule follower but she wouldn't get in trouble for using magic in diagon alley it's just so oh my god it's so obvious that they wrote this to be like, oh, call back to when she did this before. And uh, yes. look at her just being a great witch, the pl- cleverest witch of her age. Like, And then the way, okay, again, she does a She's great- She's in her Hogwarts robes. Yes, she does a great job. Emma Watson does a fantastic job of playing the like, doing the deep sigh like oh, i always have to take care of the people around me like i'm always the adult around my kid friends like she does a great job of having that like aura about her in this scene mm-hmm. which is i think typical of hermione to kind of like take on that mantle of always being the responsible one but then also sighing about it like i always have to be the responsible one it's like yeah cuz you choose to do that so she did a great job of doing that but like come on I, it was so obviously planted in this film and i don't know why they did it and it makes me so angry obviously so she does a good job of being you know an adult child but i just i can't um but what i do love is when she sees lockhart and they like and she does the clapping and like the deep sigh when she sees him and then molly weasley like scrambling to get up front and stuff like that whole scene where all of the women are like you know totally fawning over lockhart i think that they all did a great job of acting that out so she redeems herself right away but um I can't. And the way that Harry takes off his glasses and looks at them like he's never seen magic after she repairs them. And he's like, my what? I've never looked at glasses before and I've never seen a charm be done. And it's like, dude, you just spent a whole year doing stuff and she's already repaired her glasses before. Now you're looking at them like you can't believe that this happened. I just oh, my God. Obviously, it makes me so mad. This wasn't even my peeve. And then I also, she like, you see her run out, look both ways, and then run towards Harry. And it's like, how did you know he was walking up the street? (sighs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All of it. I agree. It's bad. Forgive me if I'm like, just totally forgetting something that was explained. But was it explained at some point? Why Hermione's parents' muggles are in Diagon Alley? I believe it's because when they're introduced in the first year, um, they tell their parents that their child is a wizard and stuff. Somebody from either, it's either from Hogwarts or maybe there's somebody at the ministry that does it, but somebody introduces the muggles into the muggle world so that the parents can still 
be responsible for their child because how are they, you know, how are you going to justify sending an 11 year old to Diagon Alley without their parents? Okay. That makes sense to me, but I just feel like it was not, I feel like they should make that clear (laughs) because I feel like, well, I think that's, that, that's information that was stated after all the books were written and they they had questions about it and jk rowling explained the process of how a muggle-born goes through the process and so i believe you know no one knows who introduced hermione to the muggle to the wizarding world but somebody personally goes to the muggle-borns and says hey you're a wizard uh or you're a witch and then they go through the process yeah, and maybe even take the muggles through the through to Diagon Alley shows them where they get their stuff and all that and like how to exchange the bills. We because I there there's apparently a goblin that exchanges bills mug, muggle bills yeah. into bills. wizard money. Mm-hmm. Muggle bills is a funny term. We need a spinoff series mini series about uh, called the Muggleborns, and we need to see how this process is done. Um, anyways, glaring omission on J.K. Rowling's end to not explain that. Well, I mean, uh, a little bit of a different circumstance, but Dumbledore goes to get Tom Riddle from yeah. the orphanage. Um, so that's our first kind of glance at the wishing world going mm-hmm. to get the muggle child and mm-hmm. the muggle-born child and explaining what's going on. And I'm sure if this was a different, if we were seeing a different situation, the parents would be there and they'd yeah. be like, this is your, you know, your child's a wizard. Um, so we do get a glimpse of that in the series. Just imagine like a, a really tired, stressed out ministry official going to somebody's house and he's like, I'm so tired. And he's just like, your child's a wizard. Just so you know, <laughs> we're going to take an alley tomorrow. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, I want a spinoff series about the Muggleborns. And I also want to see what the conversation was like between Arthur Weasley and Hermione's parents. I think that would be so cute to see how that conversation went. Well, in a show, we could probably, they could write that in. I mean, I think we have plenty of time in this episode to have some sort of interaction between Arthur and the uh, the Grangers. Then he looks over and sees that Lucius is talking to his family and he's like, oh, I got to go. Yeah. Um, okay, my last, um, <laughs> my last item, Draco, well, Tom Felton did such a good job of playing the, like, overconfident, snarky, snobby, um, bully student to the Weasleys and to Harry and Hermione, because they were all there, and then putting, having that, like, super confident aura like he has when he's at Hogwarts And then as soon as his dad shows up and he's, you know, kind of like talked down by his dad a little bit and shoved to the side. And then he immediately turns into a kid who is actually insecure and, you know, knows that he's under his father's thumb and he's, you know, he just like loses all of his power. And he does such a good job of very subtly and quickly having that transformation and then being to the side. And then that's it. Which is why we should get the Bergen and Burke scene mm-hmm. yes yes okay that's my last item sweet all right that was awesome final thoughts before our pc ponderings <laughs> something that uh that jumped into my brain while meeks was doing her lightning round was 
she mentioned how much like it bothered her about between Harry and Hermione, and I think what I think something that um, we need to take into context is that no, I don't think anybody realized that Harry or Hermione and Ron were supposed to be together. I think a lot of people were supposed to sh- like. By this point, a lot of people were shipping Hermione and Harry. And so I think the people who wrote the movies probably were like, it's obviously going to be Hermione and Harry that get together. So they create, they, yeah. they, they wrote it in such a way that created that, that sexual tension that you're talking about. Right. So I, mean, I agree. I, Cause but. Ron and Ron and Hermione's relationship doesn't start appearing until later down the road mm-hmm. where kind of like people who are reading the books are going like, Oh, Oh, that's what she's doing. Okay, interesting. I just hate the way they wrote it, but I agree that I'm sure that that's what they were going for because they didn't know yet. Yeah. That was a really good point, James. It That um, is something that I've mentioned, <laughs> that I don't want to see these kind of continuity errors in the show because they have got the entire series right. completed. There's no reason to go off script. <laughs> I'm sure that they won't. Um, th- like, I think that, I think that they're going to be a lot closer to mm-hmm. being. That's what I'm, that's yeah. what I'm so excited about is they, yeah. they're going to know everything that happens in the future uh, books so that they can, you know, put these Easter eggs while and have these consistencies. While we're talking about Harry and Hermione being in love, I just wanted to say that in, in uh, the Deathly Hallows, and honestly, I don't even remember which one, if it's part one or part two in the film, when they're dancing in the tent after Ron has already left. That's part one, right? All of that sort of stuff happens before I think part so. two. I'm not sure. Anyways, so when Harry and Hermione are dancing after Ron has left and they have that like kind of hint of a, of a sexual tension between them, I love the way that they did that in the film because I think that that it was such a subtle way to show how like that's something that Ron was really worried about and even but it didn't mean any like it, it wasn't ever going to go that way bet- for Harry or Hermione you know and if you think about it in real life if you were in that type of a situation there would probably be that question pop up at some point you're spending that much time with somebody you're that close with them you might die within like actually like any minute you know and like I I think that that was so realistic for what would probably happen if you found yourself in that type of a situation and they made it so clear in the film that there was like, there was that question and then they ended it before. I mean, nothing happened because nothing did happen in the, in the actual storyline anyway. But I feel like the way that they wrote that and the way that they acted it in the film was really, really good and really realistic. So that's just like, I think it's just to show that they, like he was trying to make her feel better because she was hurting yeah that ron left mm-hmm. and he was just trying to like lift her spirits yeah um and that you know he they're a sibling relationship yeah. and like i think if um i'm an only child so i can't testify to this but i would hope that if i was hurting mm-hmm. from a breakup or whatever that my sibling would yeah. you know if there was music playing you know ask me to dance and like just yeah. try to you know um make me feel better in some way it was perfect that's one of the few times where in all of the films when they add something in that was not in the books and i think that they nailed it and i think it was just such a Mm -hmm. good way to kind of like wrap up all of these questions and things that had popped up and whatever like all of this kind of unsaid yeah stuff and 
um, I think, I think it was so good. I, I remember when I saw that for the first time and I was kind of like, okay, here we go. Another scene that wasn't, wasn't in the books. And then when it was over, I was like, oh, that was, that was great. I, I really liked it anyways. Okay. I'm done talking now. If we're talking about ships, <laughs> not that I um, shipped Malfoy and Hermione ever. I mean, we all did, I, though. <laughs> I always thought, and I still to this day do think that Malfoy has a crush on Hermione. Yes. And that's why he's so evil yeah. towards her because he doesn't know how to mm-hmm. have those feelings for a muggle because he's been raised to hate muggle-borns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I all there's always a scene in the fourth book that makes me think this, but earlier, James, you were talking about how Malfoy's just been obsessing over Hermione and how smart she is. And I'm like, oh, that's another clue yep. as to the fact that he actually likes her and he he's admiring her talent, but internalizing it as hatred and jealousy. Well, and he also constantly puts himself in a position where he's above the people that are around him. Like he sought out Crab. Well, I mean, Crab and Goyle's parents or fathers or parents were Death Eaters. And, you know, so obviously their families are going to run together anyway. But like, obviously, they were perfect friends for what he thought that he needed because he thought them to be below him. And, uh-huh. you know, the pe- the peers around him, like he chooses, he always needs to be that leader because he needs that because he's actually very insecure. And so he needs to like be in that mm. position where he's above all of his peers. And Hermione is somebody who actually, he is told to think that she's below him because of the Muggleborn thing, but she has so much confidence about herself and she's so intelligent. She's far smarter than he is. And She's a muggle-born, but better at all of the magic stuff than he is. And so he has to not only reconcile with the her being a muggle-born, but also just the intimidation. Like, she's just confident in herself, and he doesn't know how to act around people who are confident in themselves. So he tries to tear them down, and she doesn't let him. And uh, so that's really hard for him to have uh, to deal with. Totally. Okay, so now that we've gone on all of our tangents, <laughs> um, are we ready for the PU's pleasure? Wait, no, I have one more thing to say. What if there was a what if about Harry or uh, Hermione and Draco? Yeah, I'd like it. I, I, I would like to see what would happen because, and um, I'm, J.K. Rowling herself has said she's upset she never fully gave Draco a redemption arc. Um, and I, cause it, especially, I'm pretty sure she planted the seeds for that throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, well, uh, the moment in book four that I'm talking about is at the Quidditch world cup, um, and the death eaters are attacking and Draco warns the trio that they're coming. And if you don't want to, you know, get hurt, you need to run. And I always took that as a warning and he was protecting her. He didn't want to see her get hurt, even though he's mocking them. Um, and that also shows his character. Like he's, you know, he's in a way protecting them, even though he's mocking the situation. Um, and so like, like I said, like the seeds have been planted for him to have a redemption arc. So that's one thing I could see that like, I'd be fine with Joe changing and giving him the redemption arc. Mm -hmm. Draco's redemption. Draco's redemption. Um, so yes, yes, I would like to see a what if about Draco. And Hermione. 
So, PD's pleasure? <laughs> or any more? <laughs> no. Okay, James, what was your PD's pleasure? Uh, hmm, that's a good question. It's not a lot of movie stuff for me to be able to kind of say, like, I really liked this. Um, I, Peace Pleasure is going to have to go to Jason Isaacs on how he played Lucius Malfoy. To this day, he's one of my, one of my favorites uh, for Chamber Secrets altogether, I really think, out of all the actors. He did a really good job. He really kind of leaned into the, the malicious Lucius and and, and kind of made it feel like he was definitely going to be an antagonizing figure going forward. And um, I really wish that the films that brought him back in the future didn't didn't tone him down or flatten him as much as they did because I think he really set a high bar. And then they didn't reach that in like Order of the Phoenix, for example, because I guess maybe they just didn't give him much room to kind of show that menacing. And instead, they kind of just focused more on focused more on Lucius um, being more of the obedient follower kind of thing instead of the uh, instead of the proud follower of Lord Voldemort, he was just the obedient follower of Lord Voldemort, which is like its whole its own little thing. But Chamber of Secrets did it did a really good job in in setting the bar uh, for how evil Lucius Malfoy really is deep down, and like how he really isn't a good guy. And um, then to kind of you know, and you get excited to then see what his journey throughout the next books and how it's how it's gonna fill out and stuff. But um, Jason Isaacs hits all the right tones and he makes all the right choices, and I I, I have to applaud him for that. So I will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, it's a small pleasure, but I like how um. I like how they did the breakfast table at the Weasleys, um, even though it's small. I think that they could have done a lot more with it, but I like that they kept that in. It was just like, you know, them chatting. It felt homey and it felt like it would, I don't know. It just felt like um, they got the uh, the vibe and the feelings of how Harry was feeling being at a, at a house with people, at a home with people who like cared about him and stuff and just... So I think they could have, of course, done a lot more with it. But I, I like that they had that in there. So it was like a little pleasure. <laughs> have you seen my jump? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's on the cat. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure was cutting the fight scene between author and Lucius. I thought the film did a great job adapting that scene. I absolutely hate that they get into a fist fight. I think it's totally out of character for both of them to fist fight in a bookstore. Lucius would never, an author would, an author would never let Lucius get under his skin like that. And Lucius would never lose his composure in public like that. I agree and disagree because I feel like, um, and this is not me saying this to convince you of anything, but, but my feelings on it. Um, I feel like, Yes, you're right. Like that is so out of character, but I also feel like that's exactly why she wrote that is because it's like 
it was so it really did get under Arthur's skin that he did something like launch himself at Malfoy um, when that's something that he wouldn't normally do. So I, um, it it does feel uncharacteristic, but I feel like it was intentional that she wrote that, but maybe it wasn't, maybe it just was, she was like, Oh, let's just make it dramatic. And we'll just write that this happened just because that's what people expect. All right. Um, peeves, peeves, James. That we don't get any prominent Mr. and Mrs. Granger. Mm-hmm. Like, we just get to see a little scene of, those are the Grangers, way back there. Right. They won't ever show up again. <laughs> like, come on. Like, we... <sighs> that was, like, the perfect opportunity to have muggles interact with the wizarding world. My favorite, like I think a lot of people's favorite parts is to see how wizards react to muggle things and muggles react to wizard things. I I mean, that sets up the most natural comedy. It sets up the most natural like differences, like for people in comparisons to be like, Oh, I have no idea what I'm doing here. It like, it's, it's the perfect it's the perfect excuse for so many things you can do with characters and we don't get any of it. And so it's just like, yep, those are the Grangers. That's them moving on. And then we never see them again. And then, so it's just like disappointing that we don't get to see Arthur talking to them in some way. We don't get to see, them like him asking them questions we don't get to see them trading you know trading muggle money for for uh wizard money we don't get to see them going in and being like why do you have to buy a broomstick honey like like not that hermione would buy a broomstick but like like asking those questions like they're asking hermione because hermione's done all this research and she knows everything kind of scenario they would just, they know to ask her and be like, hey, Hermione, like, why are we getting this? And she, like, would explain to them in the best way that she can, like, how things work. Like, it would have been great. And we didn't get any of it. And so I know it's like a movie and I know it's an adaptation, but, like, huh. come on. Uh-huh. Like, I want, I wanted more muggles and we don't get any of them. So. Sarah Day, I have to say, I feel really bratty for pooping all over your pleasure. <laughs> oh, thank you. You should. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not heartbroken about it. Okay. I just <laughs> not that I was actually <laughs> like, not your friends. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lose all my so points. Um, <laughs> Our friendship doesn't care. It's just your point. <laughs> <laughs> um, my peeve was, so I had two little peeves. Um, one, leaving out Quidditch at the burrow, like them playing Quidditch. Um, I just think that that's like such a, it's such a normal thing for the Weasleys and for wizarding families in general to play Quidditch like just for fun and Quidditch is such a a big deal for Harry because you know 
we can go into all of the reasons why. And so the fact that he had the opportunity to do this for fun with his best friends, with a family that he's never, he's never had anything like a family before. Um, well, except for his first year of life, but he's never known anything like that. And so to have all of that stuff combine and for him to like play it for fun. And also I think it'd be a fun scene to watch anyways, but definitely with all of the, um, the background context that goes with it for Harry, I think it's a shame that they didn't add in a montage. Um, and okay. My second peeve is when they get their Hogwarts letters and the way that miss they're at the table and they're like reading off the books that they need. And the way that Mrs. Weasley says, there's only one place to get all this Diagon Alley as if like, that's like the first time that they're going. It's like, girl, you have been there probably hundreds of times. And the way that she says it makes me so irritated. Again, she does a fine job of acting it. I'm sure that that's how they told her to write it. I am annoyed with the writers. I think it's a super cheesy line. And I just wish it was not in there. Um, I agree and I disagree. <laughs> I oh, dang. No, I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. He could have said, "Oh, we're let's go to Diagon Alley tomorrow." Now we have the list. Now we'll we'll go there in the morning. Like she could have made it normal, normal. (laughs) So, so I am actually going to throw in something that maybe could be considered a disagree, but maybe it's just more context. But the context is that there are tropes when it comes to a first movie and a second movie, the second movie is the sequel, right? There are specific sequel tropes and the callback is a very commonly used trope in sequels. And so a lot of the things that we may find irritating are just because the director and the writers are all going up. We can do a callback to the first movie. Here we go. Calling back to this moment, calling back to this moment. And so Molly Weasley saying, "Well, there's only one place to get all this Diagon Alley because you get a refresher. We know what Di- we, we 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 know what Diagon Alley is. We know like what it means that we've all been there. Oh, cool! We're going back now. That's so awesome. Hermione fixing Harry's glasses. Another callback. It's just it was just a she did it in the first movie. Oh, it's just like the first movie. That's so cool. Now she's doing it again for the second one. I totally get why it is littered with that. It is littered with so many sequel tropes Mm -hmm. that that's probably where the irritation is coming from. I, I wonder if as we get into the later movies, they do as many of these callback tropes or other tropes, because at the beginning it still wasn't the phenomenon that it is, or it was at the later films than it is now. Um, and so for the sequel, the, the, the reason why they do the callbacks is to refresh the memories of the viewers who are really into it and watch it, you know, again, before they go see the sequel. But if for those who didn't watch the first movie until since it was out in theater, so you've got to remember, like remind the viewer of what's going on and that's how they did it. Um, but Harry Potter became such a phenomenon that it'll be interesting to see what kind of callbacks they do in the later films because they knew everybody was like obsessed with these, rewatching it, reading the books, dressing up, etc. Hmm. Good yeah. point. We'll have to keep an eye on mm-hmm. that. 
I also am putting that as the homework for the listeners, for the movie watchers. How did you feel about Mrs. Weasley saying that line? Do it. Also, by the way, we don't have any British questions this episode so far. Nope. So. Well, yeah, it was all about the Wizarding World, which wouldn't have a... Well, I guess Hogwarts does have a... I don't know. Never mind. Listeners, write in if you have a question for our British correspondent, or maybe we'll get one by the time that we finish our Pleasure Peeve salute. Did I give mine yet? My peeves? Yeah. No, I did? No. No? No, not my peeve. Okay. Are you trying to um, silence okay. Sarah Day? Um, 10 points from Ravenclaw. <sighs> My (laughs) just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I don't ever actually want to take points away. I just say it to, I don't know, be relevant. (laughs) Um, Okay, my peeves peeve is um, the Bergen and Bork scene with Lucius and Draco. I really, I hate that that was cut. Um, I've already kind of explained throughout the episode why I think it's important to put that in. So, um, if you need to re-listen to this episode, yeah, if you've already forgotten everything that we said, just, <laughs> or sorry, do I need a callback? Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but like with the interaction between Lucius and Malfoy, like, is there anything you did like in that moment, or is it just because like there's it's just a bland interaction between father and son? Why do I want to see the? I, I'm happy with the what we got in the bookstore. I think that was a spot on adaptation. I just want to see what what we missed in Berg, Bergen and Burke about how Drake um, about how Lucius is trying to sell the dark art stuff, and Draco's kind of wandering around asking for stuff, and it just shows how much the status sh- is important to Lucius. But there is there is a little bit of that in the movie. Harry has to hide because Lucius and Draco walk through the door, and Lucius not, mentions that he's selling anything. That's no, that's in not the movie, in the original, isn't it? No, not in the original one. Because that's what I watched the original one, and that was in the original right. one. No, but right. don't you have access to like the extended versions? The one on HBO does not have Lucius and mm. Malfoy in Bergen and Burks. No, because I only watched the one on Max, which is the normal one. That's the one I watched on Max. Is this an episode of? And it has and Draco and that is Draco and Lucius. No way! <laughs> Let, all right, you can pause the recording. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> okay, Wait. we have compared, <laughs> and we have figured it out. Um, Listeners, I'm so sorry you yet. didn't get to hear all of that. <laughs> Uh, the HBO Max version uh, does not have the Lucius and Draco scene. So Sarah Day was correct. Yes. We're just thinking of somehow. <laughs> but like the point, I, the thing that's like bothering me the most is like, I remember watching it and somehow I correlated with watching it on Max. And so I talked about it in length. Say, thinking that that was actually part of the movie when I didn't even realize it was like the extended version of the movie. And so that's the part that's baffling my myself right now. It's just like, 
we don't get any Lucius and Draco in the movie, but there was a Lucius and Draco. It there it there was a little bit of it. He like Borgen takes a coin from like how Meeks was saying Borgen takes a coin from Lucius to kind of show that like little difference. But Lucius uh uses his cane to like um he hits the cabinet saying Draco stop touching things and Draco's like sorry well like whatever because Draco's like not listening to his father and so it, it's a it's a small interactment and I guess it was cut from the film but I guess it's boggling my mind that I thought it was part of this mo- the movie the whole time because I've always remembered that there's so much scene. that you especially when you've read the book so many times and then you've seen the movie so many times, you just conflate the two and you kind of just, you can see those characters and those actors doing the things that are in the books that are in the film. Cause you're just so used to like both of them. I'm watching the extended yeah. scene now. <laughs> Cause now I'm so interested in seeing if, if it's worth this. Especially since it's scene. part your, especially since it's part of your peeve, but. Yeah, I wanted them to, the reason I went into it, the entire thing at the very beginning was because I wanted them to go even more deeper than they did. But. Okay, yes. I don't know why they cut this scene. It's, ugh, I'm so mad. It should have been in there. Mm-hmm. And this, like, I went, oh, I'm still watching it. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> it be in the, the show. Look at him with his little box. Draco has his little box to give. Yes. Oh, I'm so mad. That's this is. I definitely sticking with this as my peeve. This should have been in the film. <laughs> That's why when you in some alternate universe, yes, it you was were saying that Bergen was played by this guy. I'm like, but he wasn't. Like he wasn't in the film. And then you were like, <laughs> and then the additional scene was he he came out of the cabinet, and then Burke was there. I'm like, that. Cool, but why was he in the cabinet if Lucius and Draco were there? I know, when I was talking earlier about this and I was like getting such blank looks, I was like, did I, did I watch a different movie? <laughs> well, I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> you and me were on the same page, but I guess I'm like right. in the middle where I thought it was part of the original movie, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, and so I'm just. Um, I don't know. Are there any uh, house points distributions going on with this? Um, um, I win them all. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I wish that you had seen their faces when I said that. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. I have been keeping track. The listeners have been keeping track. I have Gryffindor and Hufflepuff each with 10 points, and I don't remember why we won points. We got something right. In the beginning, about. Oh, Bergen and Burke. This this scene. The second part of the name. (laughs) Causing so much controversy. (laughs) These guys. I even said it, I even said it was played by Edward Tintor or something like said, that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You said who he was played with. I'm like, what do you mean? I should have said something then, so we could have figured this all out at the beginning of the episode, as opposed to the end. 
love, I just love how we were all on different levels. I can't wait to see what listeners think about this episode. Screaming at us. We're not listening to these guys anymore. (laughs) We're not qualified. They don't even have their facts straight. (laughs) Not even watching the same movie. Anyway, um, shall we move on to our Weasley salute? Yes. James. <laughs> my, my Weasley salute to try and collect all my thoughts again, bring it back down to earth, uh, was Arthur Weasley. Um, for multiple reasons, to be honest. I hope you don't say for punching Lucius. <laughs> no. Thank you, James. <laughs> No, because I really like because uh, I said how I, re- I I said before I really liked how the the movie did it and uh, if the TV show does go with the route of having Arthur punch it, I'd really like to see like how they would accomplish it because I feel like the movie did a really good job and the actors did a really good job in creating that tension and stuff. So that's that's where I stand on that. But no, I Arthur Weasley's my salute because he is like the embodiment of what I imagine uh, how people should treat other people Mm. no matter where, like where they come from kind of scenario. Like he is so infatuated with muggles and the muggle world. And like, he he doesn't just barge in and just, he just doesn't barge in and kind of just like alienate Mr. and Mrs. Granger. He goes in and makes them feel welcome. He's like, asking them questions he's probably explaining things to him like to them and just like like he and he then he stands up for them uh in front of lucius and he's like you know he protects their honor kind of scenario like he's proud to be what lucius is considered like considers a blood traitor like because apparently lucius has this thing where he treats other purebloods with like respect and honor and stuff, but he doesn't treat the Weasleys that way because he sees them as a blood traitor kind of scenario. And the fact that, you know, Arthur has been put in the situation that he is in, uh, at the mi- like, you know, having a more, he, he's, he, he's not in the ministry to like get status or anything. He's in the ministry doing something he loves. He, he's probably working at a job. He really thoroughly enjoys, um, from time to time, I'm sure he doesn't enjoy it every day because it's a job. But like he, he thoroughly goes through and, and and enjoys the Muggle world and enjoys these artifacts and he tinkers with them and uh, he's trying to understand it all. And so he's to, he he to me is the embodiment of what a lot of people should be doing when it comes to when it comes to something that they don't understand or that they don't think about or that they don't. Um, don't get associate with all the time and it kind of reminds me of just like you know how is my approach towards other people like when I'm approaching other people about things that I don't understand am I approaching it from a Lucius Malfoy perspective or am I approaching it from an Arthur Weasley perspective and and I feel like the reason why he is so such a beloved character is because he is a character that is so humbled by what he doesn't know 
that and so fascinated by what he doesn't know that when he's learning it, he truly and genuinely enjoys that information. And that's why I love the line from the movie, what is the function of a rubber duck? Because what wizard would ask that? No one else, no one would, no one would care. No, no one would have that ability, but the, the detail that he is putting into his knowledge, because he truly doesn't understand. He looks at it and he's boggled. He's like, I don't know what this is for. What I do, I don't understand why it is here. It looks cool. It looks interesting, but I want somebody to explain it to me. And he asks the genuine question, what is the function of a rubber duck? And so I I love Arthur Weasley in general. I think he was portrayed well in the movie. I think he was written well in the book. That's why, in total, Arthur Weasley's my sleuth. That's a good one. Um, mine is Lockhart's acting. Well, Kenneth's acting. Um, I uh, I thought he did a flawless job acting. I don't know. I mean, I could go on and on about it but mm-hmm. i think that we all we all get the point you know he just did such a such a good job and every time i watch the film i'm like re-reminded of how great he did in this role interesting that you should say that because oh, my God. salute is actually jason isaacs oh, look at and his acting mm-hmm. i just think that he really embodied who lucius is um and did a really good job, even in the future films, showing that progression um, that you were talking about earlier, James, of this, you know, cocky, pompous person to the more fearful uh, version of Lucius we get later on. Um, and so, yep, that's my salute. Well... Thank you for going on the journey into deleted scenes with us today. This was this was a journey. <laughs> yeah, it was. Next time we will be discussing chapter five, the Whomping Willow, and that is about twenty-two minutes to thirty-one and eleven seconds of the film. James, where can our listeners find you? Listeners, just go to James M. Beltran. On TikTok or Instagram. You can find me there. That's all you need to know. And you can find me, uh, Meegs, on mainly Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all of my other projects. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at Captain.McD. That's M-C-D-E-E. And just like me, so you can find my other projects linked there. And please follow our podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Peeves' Gabfest. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And please, if you can, leave a five-star review if you haven't already. If you're as mischievous as we are, consider signing up for our patron at www.patreon.com slash Gabfest. If you have any feedback for us, please leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GABFEST. Or you can email us at peevesisgabfest at gmail.com. And we'd love for you to join our discussion over in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash peevesisgabfest slash groups slash peevesisgabfest. Excuse me. Until next time, Ickle Firsties. <laughs>